1, 2, and 3. Pay attention. And welkin is is an old English word for the sky. Listen to how all the sky rings. George Whitfield published this in a hymnal, and he changed it. That was back before copyright laws were strict. And he changed it to hark the herald angels sing. Listen, the angels who have come to herald the news. Uh, this song probably has one of one of the deepest theological statements of all of our hymns. It's the last line of verse 2. Let your eyes run down to the very last line. Verse 2. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. let, those, let those words sink in and meditate on those, those words. So rich. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He was pleased to dwell with us as one of us. Let's sing 93, and let's sing all four verses.
a good song, good singing, good playing. Psalm chapter 40. Psalm chapter 40 is a song about the birth of Christ. It also is a song about the life of Christ. Psalm chapter 40. And as we go through this psalm, there are, as usual in the psalms, some real good, practical, real-life statements that we can uh, be encouraged by. Psalm chapter 40. Now the Psalms have direct meanings and then uh, they are written for each particular situation in the present tense of the writing of the Psalms. And then there are many times statements about the future. You have to look at them to see that, you know, this reminds us of something. When we go to the New Testament, you find out that it's referring according to writers quote the, New Te- the Old Testament. And so you can tell by that that there are some prophetic statements about Old Testament passages like in this Psalm. And so when you look back from the New Testament, we see the prophecy, but there are direct statements about direct situations that the writers are concerned about. So it's real life in the present tense, but it's also shooting to the future. And so you see both things in play. And so uh, historically, uh, this psalm grows out of a crisis in David's life, and uh, he was facing a horrible pit. We'll look at the psalm and try to learn some things, get some lessons from it. Psalm 40, verse number 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. Uh, unfortunately, in everybody's life, there is this need for the P word. There is this need for that word that begins with the P, and it's right there in verse number one. And that word is, of course, something that we need to really develop in our lives as we grow older, and even uh, for people who are young to have this word in our lives and practice it and sometimes the Lord lets us go through experiences so that we can learn to have this P in our life and that word is patience what a uncomely word (laughs) patience I waited patiently for the Lord now leading up to Psalm 40 you have several Psalms that talk about having patience would you like to see what these Psalms say let's take a look at Psalm chapter 25 Psalm 25 and verse number 5 Leading up to Psalm 40, you have the need for patience on behalf of the writers of the Psalms. Many times it's David. Psalm 25. Psalm 25. Verse number 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my voice, or my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Verse 3. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Wait, wait waiting on him let them be ashamed which transgress without cause verse 4 show me thy ways O lord teach me uh, thy path verse 5 lead me in thy truth and teach me for thou art my the god of my salvation on thee do i wait on thee do i wait all the day now you can look at the word wait in two ways one is wait as in patience uh, for the lord to answer to respond or wait on him as in serve him like a waiter well That'd be fine too, but you, you notice that he's talking about waiting. Now look at verse number 21. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. And by the way, those two things always do preserve a man. They always give a man confidence in the time of stress, struggle, debate, 
criticism, accusation. If a man knows that he is righteous or he is right or he has not done anything wrong of what he's accused, then he can lean on that, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. Probably one of the best things that a man can have is a good name. If not the best thing about him is having a good name. And uh, you can tell that um, a man has uh, confidence in the face of trial and accusation because he knows in his heart that he is free of the guilt of the accusation. Nothing seems to stick against him if he is honest and he has been a man of integrity and he's been upright. And so accusations always come to people who are good. Good people always get accused. Good people always get attacked because they're good and those who are not good attack those who are good. A basic principle of politics and of us living in this world. Verse 21 says, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. I wait on thee. So twice now, the writer says, I am waiting patiently. Now look at Psalm 27 and verse number 13. Psalm 27, leading up to chapter 40, you have the writer patiently waiting. Patiently waiting. Psalm 27, verse number 13. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So strong words to encourage the reader to be patient. And while you're being patient, do good. Be a good man. Do right. And... Wait on the Lord to come through in whatever the need is for that individual. One more reference, actually two more, Psalm 37. Psalm 37, similar words, which tell us we need to be patient. Psalm 37. Hard to wait for the elevator to come. Hard to wait for it to move. Hard to wait, hard to wait for the light to change green. Oh, we're so impatient. Verse 37, mark the perfect man, Hugh, mark the perfect man. Tell Mark he's perfect. Mark the comma, the perfect man, doesn't say comma there. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. And then verse number, uh, let's see, 37.7. I'm, I'm sorry, 37.7 is what I really wanted to go. I looked at verse number 37. 37.7, rest in the Lord. But that was a good verse. 37, 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him that prospereth in his way. You could say, David is saying, those who seem to prosper against him, those who seem to prosper against you, wait patiently on the Lord. Don't fret against what the unrighteous do because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. And then one more, chapter 39. Psalm 39, leading up to chapter 40, you have the statements about patiently waiting for the Lord to act. 39 and verse number 7. And now, Lord, what wait I for? My hope is in thee. All right, so waiting for circumstances to change, waiting for something good to happen. And the psalmist here says, I am waiting for you to do something. My confidence, my hope is in thee. And so the basis for waiting and the reason for hope and waiting is that it is God who can do something about what you're waiting for. And so David waited for the Lord to 
to answer him, but there's no immediate answer. Therefore, he is forced to be patient. He is forced to wait. Uh, I got a phone call from a man from Miami, in Miami. Uh, I first talked to him half a year ago when he was living in New York City. And uh, circumstances changed for him. And uh, he began to call again after several months of not calling and talking to me. And sometimes when I see his phone come up, number come up, I don't want to talk to him because he goes on and on and on and on and on. And I have a hard time cutting in to say something. He has called to ask me for my opinion and I can't give my opinion because he keeps talking. Every many people just talk and 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 you can't get a word in. Well, this is the kind of gem that it is. I'm not criticizing, I'm just saying that uh, I don't want to answer the phone sometimes. So the last two days he has been calling me. I didn't answer the phone because I knew that it would be in a recurring experience again, which I didn't care to have going on the last two days. And so he got uh, to call again. And finally, uh, I did answer him last night. Uh, today's Wednesday. I answered him Monday night. It was a mistake because he went on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And on. Okay, well, I finally raised my voice to him. And uh, he said, oh, you know, I get no help from many, but oh, every pastor I try to talk to, they don't help me. They don't care about me. They don't want to help. I said, wait a minute now. And I began to try to reason with him. Now, here's what I'm trying to say. I did not want to hear him. I didn't want to listen to him. That's a man talking to another man about another man. And David is talking to God, and God seems to not want to hear him. But of course, God is perfect. He is honest. He is righteous. And he, he sometimes makes us wait, not because he doesn't want to hear us, but because he has a reason for us waiting. My reason was kind of kind of carnal to not talk to this man. Well, he did call me again. He did call me uh, today at about, um, let me think here, about 2 o'clock. I said, I can't, no, I'm sorry. It was, it was Tuesday night, and it was about dinner time, and I said, no, I'm, we're um, celebrating one of my grandkids' birthday, and I, I can't talk now. And he said, well, I just want to, and he began to say something. I said, I can't talk. I'll come back another day. He says, it's tomorrow good. I said, no. Well, not Wednesday. He said, call me Thursday. So Thursday's going to come again. <laughs> I'm just trying to say, I put him off. I put him off. I put him off. And uh, the Lord sometimes seems to put us off too, but not for those reasons. It's because he's trying to help us to learn something or help us to understand something. And sometimes what we need is to be patiently waiting on him so that we can digest, we can, we can absorb something and evaluate things in a better way because of the no or the silence of God. And so, uh, Psalm 40, verse 1. However, David says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and, 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 this time, this time, this time, he says, he inclined unto me and heard my cry. This time he heard. Now, how do you express the word incline? What is an incline? He inclined unto me. Well, when you walk, when you go on a hike, you have level ground, and then you have a gradual incline going up. And I guess the opposite of incline is decline coming down, but incline would be to say in this verse that the Lord inclined, he bowed down, he, he looked down, he, he, he stooped down, he knelt down, and he leaned his face toward the one speaking. So he inclined. You ever talk to people who don't listen to you? And then you look right past them and they look right past you. But then you listen, when you're listening carefully to someone speaking or someone trying to express something to you, you, you kind of lean toward them. Sometimes in a real good program, you sit in your chair, you're hunched over like that, you're slouching, and then all of a sudden something gets your attention and you 
you lean forward like that, and you really want to hear. And sometimes, sometimes uh, people are talking around you, and you say shh, and you're doing this. You want to really hear. And sometimes you turn your ear toward what you're hearing because you want to hear it better. Well, that's the idea of incline. The Lord inclined, the Lord inclined unto him, and he heard my cry. So inclining and listening with the ear. So I think it's like the Lord doing that. Now look, he's doing that. He's listening. Or maybe he's left-handed, so it's the left-handed ear. He's doing that. I don't know, but he's leaning forward, listening, paying attention, giving attention to the cry of David. And this is something good now. And so um, the Lord helped David. The Lord helped him. And he heard my cry. Now, there's ten to say about the pit that David's in. Look at verse number two. He brought me up also. He heard me. He heard me. Verse 1, not verse 2. He not only heard me, he brought me up. Well, that means he was down. That was in something. He says, this awful situation is in. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Not just a hole, not just a pit that's dry and dirt, you know, and all that. But it's a horrible pit out of the miry clay. Miry clay. This is clay that is soft. This is clay that is gushy, icky like pudding, like cream of wheat, like mixed wet cement. It's it's uh, it's like, how should I say, like quicksand? You ever see old programs of cowboys and Indians or somebody run through a forest or a jungle and then he falls into a little something and begins to sink down? I used to see those old cowboy movies when I was a kid, black and white days in which uh, a guy would run and he the bad guy would run and then he'd quickly sink to the, and he realized, I'm in quicksand. And he drops his rifle, drops his gun, and next thing he can do is, oh, he's waiting for help. Now he's asking for help now, the guy pursuing him. The only thing that this man's concerned about because he's sinking in this, this quicksand is that he's gonna die. And so uh, the guy who's pursuing him throws a, he grabs a very convenient limb from a tree, just the right limb, seven feet long. And he reaches down over here and pulls it and saves his life. He's sinking in quicksand, miry clay is what he described this as. I just thought about that, uh, quicksand. But uh, this kind of clay is soft, it's gooey, it's icky, it's, uh, it's not, it's just terrible. He says horrible, 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 a horrible, horrible pit that he was in. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. Now, Mari Clay, the very same gentleman who was in New York that I referred to, and I have no criticism of him actually because he has been going through a Mari Clay situation. He is presently in a horrible pit. Let me express to you how horrible that pit is to this gentleman, this Christian. Uh, he first got online and got into a chat room with a Filipino girl. After about, after about 12 months, uh, excuse me, after about nine months, he supposedly fell in love with her, him, him to her kind of thing, and then he was gonna go to the Philippines and marry her. And so my first time I talked with him way back was about that. I said, I don't think it sounds like a good idea. How did you meet her? Oh, I met her through uh, a church. I said, okay, what kind of a church? Talked about that. And uh, I said, have you talked to anybody else besides her? Because she just said, I really love her. And she really loves me. We talk, all, we talk for hours, even though it's long distance. We talk for hours. We just, just talk so much. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, have you talked to somebody who knows her? Have you talked to someone in her village? 
Have you, she's going to, is she a Christian? Oh yeah, she's a Christian. She goes to church, sings in the choir. Okay, fine. Now, have you talked to anybody else in the church that knows her? Well, no, not yet. I said, do you think it's a good idea to talk to her pastor about what's, what she's like? A good idea. Yeah, I never thought about that. I, you should try that. Call me again when you talk to the pastor. And then uh, we call, he calls back another day and we talk about that. And then uh, there's some suspicion going on. Not really clear. There's no communication. He's not talking to her. She's not talking to him. I said, don't you think that's a little warning sign there? He said, yeah, but I really love her. And then uh, he says, pray about this because I want to go to the Philippines and marry her. She wants me to meet her father. I said, well, that's interesting. And uh, are you going to go? I think I'm going to try to raise up some money and go. And so at that time, he was um, delivering pizza. I said, well, um, be very careful. I said, uh, you want to be sure that you don't get taken for a real long, long trip down a wrong, a wrong road. He says, I know, I know, I know. I says, well, you know, uh, be careful about this. And then they keep talking. Pretty soon, he's getting suspicious about her. And uh, so he's in a Mari, he's in a, he's in a pit. Not a Mari clay pit yet, but he's in a, he's in a, he's in a pit. And then um, he moved down to Miami. And in Miami, he moved down to help his father's got cancer. And uh, he's living with the, the mother. They're not living, the parents are not living together. So he's living with the mom. And he gets down to Miami, looks for a job. He gets the job, delivered pizza again. And he's doing okay, making some money. And then suddenly he has problems with his bank. And then he discovers, he discovers that his mother hacked into his bank account and she's draining his account. And then he tells me other things about the home life. And he says, it's an incredible, awful situation living in. He says that uh, my mother, she's trying to ruin me. I said, your mother's trying to ruin you? I said, what kind of, I don't understand this. Most mothers want you to be happy and successful. Your mother's trying to ruin you, you say? I said, are you sure you're not hallucinating? Are you sure you're not imagining things? Oh, no, no. And he swears that he is sure that his mother's trying to ruin him. Give me some examples of what your mother's doing to you. And he gives me ABCDs and I'm thinking, oh, this is a bad situation. I said, once you move on, I've got no place to go. I should reach out to some other Christian community. Call some other churches in here. Maybe they got a, a room that you can live in for free until you get back on your feet. And then it says the car insurance is not being paid. Somehow she was involved with that and money being stolen, shipped it back and forth. I said, this is really an incredible story. He said, I'm telling you it's the truth. Now, what I'm trying to express to you is what he expressed to me. He is saying that he's in a horrible pit. He's in a horrible pit. It's miry clay. He is sinking. He's been sucked down. And he is so flustered, frustrated, exasperated. He is just at his wit's end. And he says, you know any jobs in Hawaii? I said, uh, no. I said, why don't you call City County of Honolulu and go online? That's the first thing to do. Go online, see what opportunities are available. I said, if I refer to somebody and you don't, you don't follow through, my name is Mutt. I, I don't want to do that. I said, go online, check it out. And then he calls me back later on, several weeks later on. He hasn't done anything about that. So I'm going to say, I said, I, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I cannot refer you to anybody. I said, you do what I said, and maybe you can get a contact that way. And he's, uh, he left Florida. He's now in Alabama. He's working his way westward. I said, now, don't, don't interpret my words to you of encouragement like I want you to come to Hawaii. I said, I'm not encouraged to come to Hawaii. I said, I know people that have uh, maybe work available, but don't depend on me. Now, he's getting angry. He's upset. We're going to talk for a few months. And then recently calls again. And he says more things about his father. He's at the hospital waiting in the room uh, because his father need, needs his attention. He believed that the hospital is trying to kill his father and all these kind of things. And it's just a real bad situation. But he really believes that in his head. And I said, look. And he says, I don't have any money. 
I said, well, you're gonna have to go get some part-time work perhaps. I can't because of my car insurance and uh, so on and so on and so on. I said, well, look, I can't do anything for you. Pray for you, but I can't do anything physically for you. I'm not asking for money. I said, okay, but fine. All I'm saying to you is that I cannot do anything about your situation. I don't even know if all of this is true. I said, well, you know, you're gonna have to do one thing at a time. If you're concerned as your father, stay there. Don't think about moving anywhere else. Just stay there, help your father best as you can. But you gotta have some kind of source of income. What are you living on? So I'm living on my dad's social security. I said, okay, and he gave me how much it was. And all this really is telling me is this, that he is in a miry clay. He's in a horrible pit. Can you see that he's in a horrible pit? I hope he gets out of that horrible pit. I know one thing, David was in a horrible pit. He was in miry clay. And the Lord heard him, the Lord inclined unto him, and finally the Lord heard him and helped him. Here's so much the Lord helped him. Verse 2, he brought me up because he was really down. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the mire clay. So the Lord helped David. The Lord helped him overcome what he was going through. And regardless of whatever pit a man can go through today, and it could be some really horrible, deep pit, Myri Clay, unimaginable things that people go through. If they were turned to the Lord, the Lord can help them like nobody can help them. And so sometimes we get to Myri Pit, a horrible pit because of the sins of others. Sometimes it's because of our own sins. Sometimes it's because of the nature of this world. Uh, I just read a story about a man, a businessman on Maui. He had a business on Hana Road, a gelato place. It was a civil beat report not long ago, a few days ago actually. And this man is up to his neck in fines from the city and county of Maui, $1.4 million of fines because he's in a, he was in a building that was not, uh, he didn't have a certificate of occupancy. Therefore, he cannot do business. And so he has tried to talk to city officials, went through two mayors, now the third mayor. And uh, he's, it, it was like no one was listening to him. He was in a horrible Maori pit. And that's how it can be for some people. And one thing is for sure, regardless of the situation that anybody can go through, the help that he will get is from the Lord. At Psalm 121, look at Psalm 121. Horrible pit, miry clay, pulling people down, hopelessness. But Psalm 121 says this, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. No, it's not the hills, it's not the mountain, but the idea of looking up is to say, if you look around you, there's no help. If you look down, for sure there's no help because it's the mire clay pulling you down. But look at verse two. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And so it is the Lord who will bring help. Verse 7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. He, verse 8, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. And so you find out in verse number 1 of Psalm 123, Unto thee do I lift up mine eyes, O thou that dwellest in the heavens. And so go back to Psalm number 40, chapter 40. So the Lord who looks down from heaven, the Lord who is able to help David out of the miry clay, out of the horrible pit, is the one that people should look to for, uh, for help today. And so David was in a horrible pit. The word horrible is very graphic, it's very descriptive of what he went through. 
when others go through what this gentleman in Florida is going through. And so after the rescue though, after the rescue, the Lord did this. Number one, first of all, he heard him. Number two, he brought him out of the horrible pit. And then number three, set my feet upon a rock. And number four, establish my goings. What a, what a good change from being in a horrible pit, Mari sinking clay, pulling you down. He now has been lifted up out of that and his feet is upon something stable now. Um, stable, staying, his feet, his feet can touch the ground. His feet can touch something that he can stand on. His feet is now on something stable. He is now stable because his feet's on something stable. And established my goings. It's kind of hard to, when you lose your equilibrium, uh, it's like you're out of balance, you're gonna fall over. It's a, it's a bad feeling. You ever walk on a, uh, a springy, bouncy, spongy kind of a, what do you call those, those blow up play rooms that they have at picnics or um, birthday parties? What do you call those houses? Bounce houses. You step on that thing, you really can't feel stable. You just feel funny. Well, I like to have my feet on something solid so I can know where I'm going. If I want to take off and stop, I'm stable. Uh, but I don't like the feeling of being unstable. Well, the Lord had heard him. The Lord had uh, lifted him up. The Lord had set him straight and firm upon a rock, something solid, and then established his goings. And that's what the Lord can do. Now, so far, these are just devotional thoughts. These are just devotional notes. These are just things that are good that the Lord can do. Remember that your real help comes from God, and God uses people to give help as well. So not just a miraculous, something out of a parachute from heaven that you look for, but it is uh, God using people as well and circumstances to help you in your circumstances while you're in the miry clay in that horrible pit. And uh, sometimes it's just, it's just something that you say, something that you do. It's just something small. It's just some little token gesture of kindness or saying, I'm praying for you. Is there anything I can do to help you that can help someone get out of a miry clay in that horrible pit? Sometimes people who are so down in that pit, they think life is not worth living. And you have to recognize that that's a serious mindset to have. That emotional feeling is just so hard to get out of sometimes. And it just takes a little bit sometimes to get someone to feel optimistic a little bit. Can you do that? Can you be that one person to give a good word of encouragement to someone? Something sincere, something real from your heart? Um, if you can help, okay. But if not, at least you can say words of encouragement to that person. Give that person hope. And the, the Lord gave David hope too. After waiting patiently, David finally says in chapter 40 of the Psalm, he says, he inclined unto me. He brought me up, set my feet upon a solid rock, and established my ways. Look at verse number three. Because of that, because he has been rescued, he says this, verse number three, and he hath put a new song in my mouth. A new song in my mouth. That is in contrast to what probably he was singing when he was in the pit. <laughs> what do you think he was singing when he was in the pit? I don't think it was a happy song. What kind of tune did he have in his mind and on his heart when he was sinking in that horrible miry clay? It likely was not anything good. It, I mean, the song was not anything hopeful. Uh, his enemies, his adversaries, the, the hopelessness he felt, being persecuted, being chased, being hunted down like a fugitive. 
and he had put a new song in my mouth after he was delivered. After he was taken out of and placed onto a solid rock, that's when he got a new song. He had put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. A new song. Well, uh, songs of, songs of a new song compared to an old song. Now, while someone's going through a horrible pit experience, their songs are songs of the future. I hope I can get out of this. One day it'll be better. They hear from people, it's all right, it's going to get better. When these, this too shall pass. But uh, there's songs about something in the future. Uh, you remember the old Negro spirituals, what they were called? Mid-19th century, the old Negro spirituals. Uh, those songs were sung by slaves working in the fields. They were songs sung by slaves who rested after the hard day of work. Uh, whether they were working as slaves or after their day was over, they were resting and, getting, you know, just around, sitting around, fellowshipping, trying to encourage themselves. Their songs were about the future. Their songs about it's going to be a better day one day. Their songs were about deliverance. Um, some songs had many things like uh, they called shouts, shouts. Uh, these songs were accompanied with dancing, hand clapping, and foot tapping. They were trying to encourage themselves by what could be in the future. Uh, some African-American scene was referred to as moan, M-O-A-N, or a G-R-O-N, a moan and a groan. And they were about, oh, uh, they were singing a song. They were actually uh, not a complaint. It was like a longing. It was, they quote, blissful rendition of a song mixed with humming and spontaneous noise. Now, they were hoping for something better in the future. Uh, before 1865, lyrics were derived from the Second Great Awakening. And uh, they had camp meetings, and they sang without any hymn book. Songs were composed on the spot, they say. Right then, they were just spontaneously making up songs, making up lyrics to a song. Um, they were called spiritual songs. And they appeared the first time in the book called Slave Songs of the U.S. of the United States, 1867. Slave songs. You know what they were singing? They were singing songs about one day this is going to be better. One day we'll be free. We'll be met. One day we'll be, we'll have our own property. One day we'll have freedom to do different things. We will not be slaves one day. Uh, Negro spirituals were Christian songs. Uh, quote, dark days of bondage. And they were encouraging, enlightening uh, by the hope and faith that God will not leave slaves alone. And so, um, uh, fugitives running to escape the masters uh, was expressed in song as riding a chart or a train. And you may have heard about the gospel train, the underground railroad, yet hidden meanings to the songs. Um, the gospel train, swing low, sweet chariot, coming to take me home, references to the Underground Railroad, and also to a spiritual freedom. Uh, you have other songs like swing low, sweet chariot. Uh, you have other songs like crossing Jordan. Lyrics like this, I looked over Jordan, what did I see? coming for to carry me home, a band of angels coming after me. These were about people looking for hope. There's a bomb in Gilead. That's found in the Bible. There's a bomb in Gilead. 
Oh, my aching, sore, beaten body. One day I'll have rest because there's a bomb in Gilead. Uh, interesting meaning to their songs. Isaac Watts, a great uh, author of hymns, and he published several books, quote, hymns and spiritual songs in 707. That was also referred to by the, the Negro slaves in the 1800s. And um, Mishnah reported ecstatic delight slaves took in singing the psalms and hymns of Dr. Watts. So his songs had meat to it. His songs had, had depth to it. His songs were songs of hope of when we get to heaven and how God can deliver us. And so those are some of the old songs, songs of hope. But David sang a new song because he had been delivered. It's a thing of the past. He's no longer needing deliverance. He has been delivered. So he's got a new song. And the Christian is like that too, spiritually. You know that we have been delivered. We have a new song that we sing. And we have a new song in our heart. And so in verses 6 and uh, verses six and 7, sacrifice and offerings. Did I read verse 5? Let me read verses 3, uh, uh, verses 4 and 5. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Now you have the reason then for him having a new song because of the great things God has done for him. In verse number six, verse number six, Sacrifice and offerings, offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings thou hast not required. Then said I, lo, I come, in the bottom of the book it is written of me. Now you have in verse number six, my ears have thou opened. Uh, the opening of the ears, you find a reference to that in Exodus 21 and Isaiah 50. And in the Old Testament culture, the Old Testament religious way of living, uh, when a servant, a slave, loved his master, his owner, and he could have been freed after so many years, but he desired to live still with his master, be a slave of his master, because his master treated him very well. And you know, not all slaves in America were treated horribly. All the movies you see is that they were treated horribly. But some masters, some owners, they had slaves, they had respect for them, they had compassion on them, and they treated their slaves and their families very well. So much so that sometimes slaves, when their period of indenture was over, they said, Master, may we still work with you. May we still be your servants. And if that was the case, then in the Old Testament way of doing things, they would punch a hole through the ear. And that would say that this is a free slave, but he wants to be still serving his good master. Uh, this is about dedication. This is about love. This is about wanting to serve your master completely and fully for the rest of your life. It's a beautiful picture, as they say, of dedication, of serving the Lord. Because when the Lord saved us and we want to serve Him, it was not just for seven years. It was not just for until the year of Jubilee, but it was forever until you gave up your last breath. Now, verse number seven says, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me, written of Him about Jesus Christ. And so, again, the psalm has direct statement about current situation at that time, real time. But then it looks forward to the future. We look back into the song. We look back at we look at what the Hebrew writers, uh, the writers of the Bible say in the New Testament. 
They refer to the New the Old Testament, which tells us that this was written here in Psalm 40. It's about reading prophecy about the Lord coming. Because they referred to that. Now, uh, Genesis 3.15 is the first promise of the coming Messiah. You remember that scripture? Genesis 3.15. He says, I come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. It was written in Genesis 3.15. Look at that scripture. Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel it is written about him in Psalm 40 and it goes back to Genesis chapter 3 the seed of the woman not the seed of the man the seed of the woman therefore a virgin uh, the seed of the woman would crush the seed of Satan and so in time, God revealed to Abraham the Savior would come through the Jews. And in time, it was revealed that through the line of Judah, the Messiah would come. And of course, Christmas references Isaiah 7, 14, Micah 5, 2, as to where he would be born. And so this is about where it was written of me in verse number 7. Now look at verse number 8. I delight to do thy will, O God. Oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. Verse 10, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Now, any situation in regular, normal life, in a home, on the job, in the government, in the private sector, it doesn't matter where, everyone is to do something in accordance to what someone told them to do. Everyone is in a submissive role or in a authoritative role. If you're in a submissive role, that means you are told to do certain things. Let's take a job situation, employee-employee. The employer has the right to tell you what to do. It's called a job description. And if you get hired to do a job, you must fulfill that job description. Okay, so like at the Hilton, uh, if you're in housekeeping, you do certain things involving housekeeping. Fold the beds, tuck it just right, do this just right, and clean it just right. If you fail to do that too many times, you lose your job because you are not doing your job. Now, sometimes people do their job, but they gripe about it. So they're fulfilling the job description, but they don't like doing the job. Every chance they get, they complain about it to coworkers or to somebody. How's it going? Ah, oh, man, my boss. Oh, man. You know, people like that. They just whine about everything. They're getting paid, but they whine about it. They don't like doing that. They want to be someplace else. They have a job to fulfill, and they fulfill it, but they do it very much reluctantly or grudgingly. Now, he says here in verse 10, I delight to do the will, O God. Thy law is in my heart. Do you find that verse giving you a hint that he is doing it grudgingly? No, not at all. If this is about the Lord, he's saying, I don't grudge, begrudge at all serving my Father. I delight to do thy will. Now, you can obey, and people should obey if they're under authority. They should obey. Anyone who is under authority must obey. And when they obey, whether they obey willingly or reluctantly, it doesn't matter. They must obey during that time. However, when it comes to Jesus Christ and uh, Christians, 
we don't just obey because we're forced to obey. We obey because we want to obey. And he says, I delight to do thy will. And so many people, as I said, they work grudgingly do things because they have to. And that is not doing it delightfully. Now, Ephesians 6, 5 tells us this. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart, as unto Christ. Not with eye service. What is eye service? Eye service is doing it when the boss is looking. Verse 6. Not with eye service, as men pleasers. What's a man pleaser? You only please the boss, or you show the boss that you're working when he's around, but when he's gone, you go back to sleep. <laughs> That's a man pleaser. Not a good way to uh, obey. So Ephesians says, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. So the Lord's obedience to his Father, according to Psalm 40, and verse number 8, he delighted to do his Father's will. You would never find a verse in the Gospels or early parts of Acts where Jesus Christ ever complained about doing his Father's will. He did whatever he had to do willingly, and the Father's well pleased with what he did. And so the Lord's obedience, obeying the Lord to his Father, uh, was not a burden, but a, he says, a delight. A delight. Now sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. It's a matter of responsibility. You don't have to feel like you ought, like you want to do it, but you just do it because some things has to be done because others depend on it to be done. If you don't do what you need to do because you didn't feel like it, it'll back up something else. It'll cause someone else trouble down the line. You must do what you need to do, but it's a real blessing if you do it with delight. All right, look at verse number Verse number, uh, well, actually, I want you to come to John chapter 8, and I'm running out of some time, so let's go to John chapter 8. <clears throat> so, these few verses in Psalm 40 is about the birth of Christ. It's about something written about him from Genesis about the Messiah coming. John 8, 26. We'll see if there's a hint of serving his father grudgingly or not. John 8, 26. I have many things to say and to judge of you, but he that sent me is true. I speak to the world those things which I have heard of him. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Verse 28. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. Verse 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. For I do always those things that please him. I do all those things that please him. Well, if he did things that pleased his Father, I think his attitude was good too. And there's no hint of doing things grudgingly. He did things in, in, in the life way. I'm glad to do it. Glad to do it. And so that's a little bit about this psalm. And I can't get through verse 11 to 17. But you do see that this is a Christmas psalm about his birth. And uh, some about his activities on earth. How he served his father in a delightful way.
May it be so with us. Thank you, Father, for this psalm. We pray for your blessings on it and help us to be more Christ-like every time we meet together in church. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.